News Network. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. Comply your way to freedom. Just do the right thing and we'll let you free. What's the right thing? Well, it's what we tell you is the right thing. Forget about that fact story, that fable that you've been told. We control all the facts. Wow. I tell you, we've never been in a situation in our lifetimes that compares to the one we're in today, at least on the political landscape of the nation. We have so many things to talk about today. And let me just tell you up top of the show, in all clarity, I did not watch one minute of the documentary, (laughs) the January 6th charade that played out in its entirety last night on eight different television networks. Eight. I don't ever remember seeing anything that got this much universal, unilateral coverage than this program did. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I mean, just back up a little bit. Go back up to the 10, 20, 30,000 foot level and look down at Earth. Who controls the media? Well, the left. Democrats and those even further left. And what is their big objective? Well, let's just call it the third impeachment of former President Donald Trump. That's exactly what this is all about. Now, let me just tell you this. We're going to wait a couple of minutes. I want everybody to to, uh, log into the show and get started before we get started here because timing is everything. And we have a lot of things to get into today. We are going to talk about the January 6th committee hearing that was held last night. And we're going to also give you a ramp up in the beginning of the show today to kind of tell you how we got there and what things are not going to be addressed, weren't addressed last night, and will not be addressed in these January 6th committee hearings. This is Nancy Pelosi's hearings. Let me just tell you this. I will tell you factually, if the Republicans win control of the House of Representatives in November, Sometime in January, there will be a real look back at the January 6th, uh, whatever happened in Washington, D.C., what you want to call it, and the fallout from that. There is a lot of fallout that nobody's talking about, and the fallout coming from the January 6th happenings a year and a half ago include dozens and dozens and dozens of American citizens who were arrested by the Department of Justice, without a trial, without a formal arraignment, are still today being held in prison in Washington, D.C. That's not supposed to happen in this, the most advanced nation on the planet, right? But it's happening, and there's a whole lot more to it. Let's just go ahead and get started. We're not going to go right into the January 6th thing. We're going to wait to get some people on board with this, but let's talk about the the legitimately very important things, like gas prices yesterday. 
they finally eclipsed the national average amount of $5 a gallon. $5 a gallon. Can you believe that? And I think there's still more room to go up, and I believe we will. In all 50 states, as of end of business yesterday, average price of a gallon of gas is above 440 and it's $5 average in some states. California, $6.40 a gallon, and more than $6 per gallon by Labor Day in California at every station. They have more than doubled in price since Donald Trump left office. Trump warned voters, if you remember, and he was scoffed at, that if Biden won the 2020 election, Trump said the price of gas would reach $7 a gallon. If Biden got in, this is a quote, if Biden got in, you'd be paying $7, $8, $9. Then they say, get rid of your car. Way back in 2006, then-Senator Joe Biden slammed the Bush administration when gas prices got just above $3 a gallon. Quote here, quoting Uncle Joe, It is well over $3 a gallon in most of our constituencies. We're paying that money, in my view, because we lack an energy policy. That's the current president of the United States back in 2006. Fast forward to today. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. Last week, she said that American drivers will have to pay at least $4 a gallon for the foreseeable future. The price of gas is likely to remain above $4 a gallon, she estimated. Americans will pay $450 more for gas this year than they did last year on an inflation-adjusted basis. That's according to the Energy Information Administration. And then there's the polling. According to Sunday polling, 74% of you and me's said Biden's soaring gas prices are an extremely slash very important factor in how they're going to vote in the midterm elections. Biden's approval for his management of gas is only 27%. Only 27%. And on another sad note, on a sad Joe Biden note, inflation remains painfully high. Looking back at May, the numbers came in, consumer prices hitting a new four-decade high that exacerbated a financial strain for millions of you and me's and worsened this political crisis, which is what we're in, a political crisis. Who's it a crisis for? It's for Joe Biden. The Labor Department said that the Consumer Price Index This is this morning, a broad measure of the price for everyday goods, including gas, groceries, rents, up 8.6% in May, 8.6% more than May a year ago. Prices jumped 1% in the one-month period from April to May. Those figures were both higher than the 8.3% headline figure and 0.7% monthly gain forecasted. This is the fastest pace of inflation since December of 1981. Thank you, Jimmy Carter, for that. Thank you for Joe Biden today. And it's not getting any better. Now, let's talk about fuel. Multiple investment banks around the world have raised their crude oil price forecast for the year. 
indicating a delayed respite from high prices, Bank of America. Their analyst, Paul Siena, pointed out in a note that West Texas Intermediate Crude has been trending bullish of late, suggesting prices might go higher. Go figure, huh? (laughs) West Texas Crude rose to $130 a barrel in March, and then it cooled down a bit. But prices now rising again indicates that oil now has momentum behind it, he said. Price has corrected and rounded out a bullish continuation pattern, pointing to 140 bucks a barrel this summer. So how does this compare historically? Well, prices have tended to move higher when West Texas crude breaches that $115 a barrel mark. While he noted that prices have been trading above this level since the beginning of June, West Texas crude has risen by 61.5% year to date as of June. Think about that. (laughs) In just five months, price of oil up 61.5%. Brent crude, which is the crude that comes out of uh, the northern Atlantic, Barclays raised the Brent crude price forecast by $11 a barrel and by $23 a barrel in 2023. They're pointing to a bigger and sustained disruption in Russian oil supply following the European Union sanctions. Oil output in Russia is predicted it's going to fall by one and a half million barrels a day by the end of this year. Brent crude is going to average $111 a barrel in 2022. And that's about three bucks a barrel more than West Texas crude. It just, it just isn't getting any better, folks. And meanwhile, the approval ratings for this president, he is approaching having the lowest in American history of every president. And so let me just stop for a second. Those of you that have joined us in the last uh, 10 minutes, we told you at the top of the show, if you weren't here, we're going to wade into the January 6th hearing that was held last night uh, in Washington, D.C., in the House chamber, and also over eight television networks, first time ever, That's happened on any kind of event, political event. We're going to wade into that, but we wanted to get into a few of these things because life goes on, folks. It goes on. It doesn't matter what happens in Washington. It doesn't matter what they say and who says it. Life goes on. Out in the hither lands, we have to live. We have to work. We have to take care of all of our family issues, our personal issues. We have health care issues. We have kid issues. We have spousal issues, all of those things just keep turning and turning and turning. And I got to be honest with you, I look back over my shoulder, it sure was nice during the four years of the Trump presidency. Yeah, we had plenty of things to worry about. I mean, I got to be honest with you, my, my stomach stayed in an uproar through the entire four years of the Trump presidency, not because of Trump, but because I was afraid they were literally going to run him out of office and what we're dealing with today would have started early. Seriously. I wish we could turn the calendar pages back a little bit. Yeah, I'm getting old. I'd like to turn it back a little bit on that regard. No, but I wish we could get back to that environment where it's easier to deal with tough stuff in your lives 
when you're not fighting to keep your nose above the financial water level. You know what I'm talking about? Drowning unnecessarily just because a group of sycophants in D.C., 535 of them, well, not all 535, but the majority of those in the U.S. Congress and, of course, in the White House, they're the ones that are solely responsible for what you're paying for gas and what you're paying for groceries and what you can't pay because you don't have the money to pay for it. And still, still today, Joe Biden will not take responsibility for one little bitty thing that's going bad in our lives. That is so disingenuous, I've just never seen it before. One of the marks of leadership is taking accountability for mistakes when you make them. And then for those that work for you, holding them accountable when they mess up. Nobody gets it right 100% of the time. There is not a human that's ever drawn breath that did. None of us do. And when we don't, nobody likes to be wrong. But when we're wrong, we need to acknowledge it. And whatever the, the downfall or the outcome or whatever goes along with being wrong on decisions that we made, we need to be willing to be held accountable. And the first thing is to hold ourselves accountable. It's a process, but we can get there. Now, before we get to January 6th, let me just drop a little bomb on you. How about another mass school shooting? Oh my gosh, you haven't heard about it. Another mass school shooting? Where did this happen? In Alabama, yesterday. Well, wait a minute. It didn't happen. Well, what are you talking about, Dan? Walnut Park Elementary School. Listen to this. While the Democrats were, uh, they were getting ready, they were gearing up for their uh, televised directed, they had a network director directing this little charade that took place in the Capitol yesterday. Well, that was going on. There's still a few people that are hurting from down in South Texas in Uvalde. And of course, still every day we hear the assault weapons ban and the so-called common sense gun control. While they're doing all of that, guess what was happening Happening in Alabama? Another school was attacked. But it didn't make the headlines. You know why? That's because this school, Walnut Park Elementary School in Gadsden, Alabama, they didn't have a single victim, except for one, the would-be invader who was shot dead by police after he tried, but he failed, to bust into the school building. So let me give you the quickie. This is how it all reportedly went down. Somebody driving by saw a man aggressively trying to get into the school building. When the man was unsuccessful, he tried a couple of other doors, all of which were locked, by the way. The responsible observer called to report the man. School principal put the building on lockdown, called in a police officer who doubles as their school resource officer, and that officer called for backup. The chain of command worked perfectly there 
thanks to some decisive action, great planning, and everybody quickly followed the protocols for this. So the resource officer reportedly engaged the invader, who then also allegedly attempted to forcefully enter a marked police vehicle and to take the officer's gun. More cops rushed to the scene to help. The assailant was shot and killed. According to the city school superintendent, the school children who were there and seemed to be unaware of the incident even occurred. In other words, a man who aggressively tried to break into a school and take the firearm of a police officer was stopped. You know why? Because the doors were properly locked and police officers acted bravely, urgently, and quickly. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Because according to President Joe Biden, failed presidential candidate candidate Beto O'Rourke, rom-com celebrity Matthew McConaughey, and late-not political scolder Jimmy Kimmel, the only way to end, and this is the word they all used, the only way to end the carnage of school children being murdered, you got to pass anti-gun laws or issue executive orders that radically infringe on the Second Amendment but are slapped with an innocuous common-sense qualifier. So they don't sound so bad. Nothing else would do the trick. They say it, despite the fact that the Uvalde killer had no problem passing a background check. Oh, we've got to get these background checks going on. All right, all right, all right. That's what he said. The guy entered through an unlocked door, faced hardly any resistance from law enforcement for more than an hour. When Texas Senator Ted Cruz, remember this, when he responded to the Uvalde murder, and he responded with calls for better school security in the form of locked doors and single-point entry, which, by the way, could have prevented that killing, everybody on the left, the corporate press, they laughed about what he was doing. Focusing on doors, ha, ha, ha. Senator Ted Cruz comes out bravely against doors. That was the Atlantic's Molly Jongfast on Twitter. Are they really going to make it about too many doors on the school? They are, aren't they? Chimed in woke comedian Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt, by the way, if you don't know who he is, he's one that came out and said that he will have sex with little boys every opportunity he gets as long as he's alive. First-class citizen, right? Meanwhile, nobody on the left wants to talk about the criminal failures of the Uvalde police and the Department of Public Safety. Why? Because if they had done their jobs, rather than standing outside like cowards for the better part of an hour, lives undoubtedly would have been spared. It's also because the implication of Democrats disarming we responsible citizens is that the only remaining defense will be armed government employees who may or may not have the courage to actually help anymore. Thankfully, in a little town, Gasden, Alabama, yesterday, police did have the courage. There was planning in place and the doors were locked. Lives were saved because of it. But Democrats and their media lapdogs won't speak a word of Walnut Park Elementary because it obliterates their gun do-somethingism. Do-somethingism.
I got to be honest with you, more than the January 6th stuff, this story and the fact that not a single news media picked it up and even mentioned it, that proves to me that we're going to hell in a handbasket. This nation is headed down even faster than I thought we were, and I thought we were going downhill pretty quick. This should be the story of the month. Everybody can rally around this process that this school used because it worked. Walnut Park Elementary, emblazon that in your memory. Walnut Park Elementary, Gasden, Alabama. Mr. President, Miss House Speaker, Miss whoever you are out there, stop politically campaigning on the backs of our babies that were slaughtered in Uvalde. Stop trying to convince us that new laws are going to stop any of this that happened in Uvalde when those laws that have been in place for decades in many cases don't work and no new versions of those are going to work because you don't enforce the laws and you don't hold the perpetrators accountable when they do it. And the only time and the only way that you even talk about any of this is when you want to turn it into campaigning. You want to turn it into, oh, you want to be Mr. and Ms. Divisive. If those evil conservatives would just join in with us, we could easily, much more easily, just totally obliterate the Second Amendment. It's all about power, and it has nothing to do with the lives of of our children, not one thing. I got to be honest with you. What happened in Gadsden yesterday? It just seemed like ho hum. Yeah, yeah, we had a, a would-be invader, but we got him before he ever got in. And he'll never try to go attack a school again. We saved the lives of all of our kids. What about y'all? What have y'all done? Nothing. Nothing. Our leaders have done nothing. Nobody has done a thing. Instead, those among us that are in leadership that come forward with some legitimate plans that have worked and will work over here, over here, over here, over there, in this state, in that state, if we would implement them and make them work, plan them out, have every element in place that's necessary to stop these from happening like they did in Gadsden, no big deal. One officer... One at Walnut Hill and Gadsden, one did this and it stopped before any damage was done. Not one bullet fired, no babies were lost. They didn't even know it was going on. That's how well organized and planned it was. So why is it happening in these other places? I can tell you there's a vacuum of real leadership. There isn't any. Nobody wants to step up and do anything that isn't within the political framework of whatever political party you're part of. Can you believe we're making that? We're putting the lives of children and teachers on the lines for political purposes, having nothing to do with protecting the lives of our babies. And that's all that should matter. So are we going to get uh, are we going to get into this January 6th thing? Yeah, we're going to do that. Let me just in all honesty, 
Full clarity, full disclosure, I did not watch one minute purposely. Purposely, because I am a confrontational purpose, a person. And when I hear and see what I knew I would hear and see if I watched it last night, I knew I'd go crazy because I couldn't confront anybody. But I knew there would be plenty of uh, playback. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Plenty of playback. We're going to take our first break. Our next segment is probably going to last um, maybe even a whole hour before the break. So if you're going to, you're, you're going to want to be a part of this next segment. Believe me. You're going to want to be here. You're not going to want to have any interruptions either. So we'll get right to it right after this. Today is January 6th Playback Day, <laughs> TNN Live. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. You finally made it till Friday. You got a weekend coming up, and this is the middle one. You know, that one in every month. It pretty much seems like those are the spots where we get to kind of just go and relax a little bit. I'm looking forward to this weekend. We have some relatives coming in from out of town, and uh, we're all getting together. We have a great family in that regard. We have a big family here. We have our three kids, um, respective spouses, and then six grandkids. And my wife's mother is here in town. And so everybody comes in, and we get together, and just a, a normal little get-together. We'll have 25 or 30 of us at one place. We always go over to one of our daughter's houses. We're going to be doing that on Saturday. So it's going to be a good time, relaxing time. And um, 
we'll have a lot to talk about. Well, maybe not. Football season's over, unless you're a USFL fan. I'm already ready for high school and college football, and of course the NFL right behind that. I love football. And I'm not talking about the one with the round ball, football, F-U-T-B-O-L. That's soccer here in my world. (laughs) I live in the South. That's what we play in the South and call it soccer. But I'm ready for football. But in this heat, kind of glad football happens um, in a little bit cooler part of the calendar. Aren't you? So what do you got going on this weekend? Maybe you should do some catching up. Let me just tell you what you can do. All of the TNN live shows, they are kept in perpetuity. Minutes after the show goes off of the air live at 11 a.m. Central, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, and even Donald Trump's new social messaging network, Truth Social. They pick up each show. And there is a calendar of the shows with the most recent one up at the top. So if you've missed any, especially this week, you got a little slack time, maybe you're sitting out on the patio reading the paper, uh, just pull up the old shows from earlier this week, kind of catch up with us. It's a good way to make sure you don't miss anything. The other good way is if you can, when you can, do what you're doing right now. Catch us live while you're sitting at the office with your earbuds in or maybe doing some work around the house. We love having you aboard, and we really appreciate you being a part of this. So this thing looks like, I'm talking about the January 6th thing, it looks like it's actually, before they're finished, it is going to morph into another impeachment attempt against former President Donald Trump. Can you believe that? Can you believe that we are living in a world where a president, uh, presidents just aren't impeached. But Donald Trump was impeached, and then he was impeached twice, and neither of them stuck. Well, that's what is going on right now in Washington, D.C., as they're doing a, a rehash of everything that happened January 6th, a year and a half ago. Now, There is a congresswoman, and she is allowed to, she's allowing us to call her a congresswoman, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a Southern girl, and she's pretty loud and pretty vocal, and she's in your face. I was perusing the the news world yesterday before the January 6th stuff was going down, and I ran across a YouTube video of Marjorie Taylor Greene And it was in the House chamber. She went on record, and she had some questions to ask. Basically, I'm just going to let you listen in before we get into what I think is really going on. Marjorie Taylor Greene on the floor of the House, raising some questions that should be asked in this January 6th hearing, but probably won't be asked. There's some very interesting facts that came out uh, reporting on the failure of this chamber, this Capitol, to be secured. And I want to tell you something. On January 6th, I was a brand new member of of Congress. And I want you to know, I thought... How many days had you been here, Representative Green? uh, January 3rd was my first day on the job. So you've been here three days. That's right, three days. All right. And I looked at the Capitol and thought this was the most secure building 
that I could possibly be in, in, at least in this city, possibly in the country, because it's our nation's capital. And tragically, tragically, we found out it was not. And I was shocked by that. What, what amazes me is the overwhelming amount of evidence that the National Guard was requested to be here, and it was continuously turned down. And the biggest shocker to me is that there's three people, three people that turned it down. It was Chuck Schumer in the Senate, Nancy Pelosi in the House, and Mayor Muriel Bowser. If I could interject for just a moment, who's in charge of security here in the House of Representatives? The Sergeant-in-Arms, and that and, would be Nancy by, Pelosi. Right. Nancy Pelosi. The Speaker. The Speaker of the House is the one in charge of the House Sergeant-in-Arms. And that, the House Sergeant-in-Arms and the Senate Sergeant-in-Arms turned down the request for the National Guard to keep all of us safe from the threats that they knew existed. Are we going to find out if they got ordered to do that by the Speaker or by the leader in the Senate? When Are we going to find that out tonight? No, we will not hear that from the January 6th committee that has spent millions of taxpayer dollars supposedly investigating January 6th. I doubt, high, highly doubt we will hear that. But I want you to know that when we take back majority, these will be, be the investigations that we take on. Now, I want you to know some other things that really bother me as we've spoken about the, the failure and absolutely purposeful refusal to protect this Capitol by Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, Chuck Schumer, and Mayor Muriel Bowser. These are, these are the failures. They did it on purpose. There's other things I, I don't think we'll hear about tonight, and I want to remind everyone. Number one, we still do not know who the pipe bomber is. Who is the person? There are videos everywhere. It's all over the FBI website. But we don't hear that coming out consistently from the January 6th committee. You know what else we don't hear enough about? We do not understand what is happening to the over 800 people who have been arrested and charged for the events on January 6th. We don't know what is happening to them, and there are dozens of them right here in this city wasting away in the D.C. jail being treated like political prisoners of war. And you know what? This is before they have been convicted of anything. They are there pre-trial. And no one cares about them. No one on this January 6th committee dares to ask a question, what is happening to these people and why their due process rights are being so fragrantly and horrifically violated pre-trial. Pre-trial, they are sitting in that jail. Do you know they have begged begged to go to Guantanamo Bay because they think terrorists are treated better than they are treated there. But no one cares about them. These people have been arrested and charged and they're wasting in jail. You want to know something else that we're not probably not going to hear about? What about the fact that there's a man named Ray Epps? Do you know who's not in the D.C. jail? Ray Epps. Ray Epps is not in the D.C. jail. And I know because I went in the D.C. jail. I did not see him there. He also is on video over and over again telling people to go in the Capitol. I don't think he's on the witness list. You know who else we probably won't hear about? The man on the scaffolding, the so-called scaffolding commander that, that told the crowd, told them, sent them, gave them orders to go in the Capitol, storm the Capitol. I haven't heard, any, I haven't heard about him being questioned, have you? No, I have not. No. You want to know something else? Here's a woman we don't hear anything about. A woman named Roseanne Boylan that was trampled in the tunnel, trampled to death. We never hear anything about this woman. 
She died in the tunnel of this Capitol, and I saw the video myself when I was in the D.C. jail from one of the people being held there, pre-trial, by the way, of her body being drugged across the floor, being drugged across the floor, and then it was taken somewhere else. Do you know what happened when they were dragging her body away? They pulled her away from someone that was giving her CPR. She was pulled away from life-saving CPR. Why did that happen? Are we going to hear about that from the committee tonight? I doubt it. They don't care about Roseanne Boylan. Here's, here's my major issue. We are representatives of the people of the United States of America, and all I hear from everyone in this body is all they care about is themselves. The American people are suffering from so many things happening from the decisions of this body. But the people in this body and the people on that committee don't care about Roseanne Boylan from Georgia, by the way. They don't care about her family. They don't care about justice for them. They don't care about anything else but, oh, what happened to us on January 6th? Well, what happened to the American cities in 2020 that were burned and looted and destroyed because of BLM violence? Nothing. All that money raised on Act Blue for BLM, it went in their pockets. No one paid to rebuild, rebuild those communities. Not at all. You know what else we probably won't hear about? is Michael Byrd, who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt right out there. We don't hear about his reckless record of guns, which is all we've talked about all weekend here. We aren't hearing about that. Why aren't we hearing about that record? Why? Why isn't he standing trial? He's not. He just gets to get away with it. Did you know, and it's on video, I bet you we won't see this video, but I've seen it and it's out there. Did you know Ashley Babbitt was trying to stop people from breaking in? That is on video. I've watched it over and over. She was trying to stop people from breaking in, and then she was shot and killed. Yes, a lot happened on January 6th, and here's my question. You know what else? And the American taxpayer pay, taxpayers pay for this. There's surveillance cameras all over this building. If we really want to know the truth about January 6th, it's real easy. All we have to do is release the video footage, and everyone can see for themselves what exactly happened. And I think the American people deserve that. While they have to watch and go through this big cinematic production tonight and carrying on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and the American people pay for it, by the way, the American people deserve to see all, all the video surveillance, not just the little cut and pasted pieces that the January 6th committee is going to show tonight. And most of all, I want to finish with this. There is something terrible happening in this process, and it's called defamation of character. The president, the 45th president of the United States character is being defamed, and all of his staff and his family and all Republicans, everyone's reputation is being defamed as lies are being told about all of us and President Trump just for politics. And it makes me sick. It absolutely disgusts me. If we're supposed to represent the American people and we're supposed to do a good job and, and uphold this place with honor and keep its reputation good for the people we serve, then we should be truthful but what's about to happen tonight is not going to be truthful. It's going to be a political narrative, and it's all for politics, and it is sickening. Marjorie Taylor Greene.
I couldn't have put it better myself. And of course, those were the questions that she said the American people want to get answered. Listen, for those of you that know me and are regulars here, you know that I dig, 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 dig. And we have contacts at every different level of uh, government, even people whose names you would recognize, many who you don't, that have access to information. But when it comes to this stuff, I mean, it's like a stone-cold wall is thrown up by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and others. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about those people that are locked up in jail. Think about that. One of the guarantees to all Americans, not just Americans, but anybody that's on American soil and they get arrested, we're guaranteed a speedy trial. You're not supposed to waste away in jail for over a year and have no idea of what's going on. Our good friend, Mark Grennan, He's in prison in Colombia today at the behest of Anthony Fauci, the FDA, and Joe Biden's Department of Justice. He's been there for two years. He has one of his sons with him. Two other sons are in federal prison in downtown Miami. No speedy trial. And the reason Anthony Fauci and the FDA are fighting to keep from there even being a trial is because Drennan's attorneys have filed for a jury trial. They don't want the evidence to be out there so that the American people can hear and see what has been going on in that regard. We don't have any idea how much more of this kind of stuff is going on, but one thing we do know, we don't know it all. That's one thing we do know. Now, a little tidbit popped out overnight. You're going to love this. A report that I grabbed dated June 4th. June 4th. Not last year. This year. June 4th. A report shows sweeping mistakes from the department. What department? Hmm. Capitol Police report. Nancy Pelosi. She's over them. This report shows delayed mobilization of specialized civil disturbance units and the dismantling of an intelligence unit that tracked threats on social media. It's in this report. John Solomon of Just the News got it. It specifically reveals the Capitol Police had received intelligence reports from agencies like the FBI, warning that violence could very well occur on January 6th. But those intelligence reports weren't properly embodied into any operational plan before that day. The assessment for 1-6 contained a bottom line up front that did not express the severity of the threat or the fact that the U.S. Capitol Police actually had knowledge of a plan in place. The statement that protesters may be armed was included, but it was never expressed with any urgency that they planned to overtake the Capitol and target members of Congress. It was a massive intelligence failure. It was made worse by Pelosi's decision to disassemble the police department's intelligence unit that tracked threats everywhere, especially on social media. The chatter on social media before that day might have alerted the cops to the potential seriousness of what happened. 
the social media unit was immediately and essentially dismantled under the new leadership. New office reassignments and steering away from the concepts of having subject matter experts may have contributed to the tragedy. Individuals with the most experience extrapolating open source material weren't tasked with reviewing social media to glean intel related to the event. As Pelosi failed at her task of protecting the Capitol, Trump, the guy that they're after one more time, had taken action to secure the area. Former Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller testified before Congress a year ago that Donald Trump authorized National Guard troops to secure the area around the Capitol. John Solomon reported Trump wanted 20,000 National Guard troops. Congress, Nancy Pelosi, rejected the request. Do whatever is necessary to protect demonstrators that were executing their constitutionally protected rights. That's what Miller testified Trump told him. This all just mysteriously popped up on June 4th. Now let me ask you this. If you watched it last night, and let me just do this. I've got another big segment on this that we want to get into, but we got a big crowd this morning. If you if you watched, you have thoughts or ideas, want to make some points, we'll take the next few minutes if you want to call 1-866-37-TRUTH, 1-866-378-7884. Open line. Anybody want to talk, give us a call. We'll get into it. But let me say this. If Donald Trump was dead set, and you're going to hear and again, you may have heard it last night. I wasn't listening purposely, and I won't be listening as they go forward. I think there's another one next week. Um, they're after Donald Trump. They're saying that he purposely instigated this, that he wanted what happened to happen. And I'm putting it in context. There's a whole lot more to it than that. But let's just start with that premise. If that was his purpose, why would he want 20,000 National Guard troops there? And it was a big deal. I mean, it wasn't just like making a phone call. Mayor Muriel Bowser was involved in it. Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley was involved in it. And he's verified publicly, verified that Trump did ask for that. And it went through the chain of command and the chain of command regarding everything to do on Capitol grounds. It goes through the Speaker of the House. So Trump called and asked then they had to go and talk to the mayor of Washington, D.C., and also House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They both said, no, we don't want any National Guard troops here. It would scare people. We just don't want that to happen. There was something sinister, something coordinated that was going on behind the scenes there. And it all likens back for me, way back at the beginning of the campaign, the ramp-up, Nancy Pelosi does an every Thursday press briefing from her office in the House of Representatives. And she was getting some real pushback one particular day by several media people about the cognitive, obvious cognitive disability of Joe Biden, the candidate, and his not making appearances. 
and she held that finger up just to shut them up. She said, you can bet on this one thing. January 20th, 2021, we will inaugurate President Joe Biden. It was like she knew something that the rest of us didn't know. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, that's actually what was going on. We didn't know about it, but she did because she orchestrated it. Now let's move on to this next segment. Tucker Carlson, probably the most disparaged person on television in a television news network of all, Tucker Carlson on Fox News. I mean, everybody on the left despises him. They can't stand when he confronts people with facts. They don't deal with it well because why? Because they are facts. Last night, Tucker, as you can expect, weighed in with his synopsis, had a little help. But this is very interesting. I always like to get Tucker's perspective. And I thought this was the perfect time to do it. We should tell you, and as we said at the top, this is the only hour on American television that is not broadcasting unfiltered propaganda into the homes of unsuspecting viewers. On the screen, you see eight boxes. Those are eight different TV channels taking the Nancy Pelosi feed unfiltered. Now, if at any time in your life you've ever made fun of totalitarian regimes that, you know, broadcast lies into the homes of the population that they can't turn off, take a look at that. That's happening right now. Meanwhile, gas is over five bucks. Inflation is higher than it's been in the lifetime of most Americans. Violent crime is making cities impossible to live in, and more than 100,000 Americans OD'd on drugs last year. Why isn't there a primetime hearing about any of that? Charlie Hurt is the opinion editor of the Washington Times. He joins us tonight. Charlie, great to see you. I mean, great if you take you three talking. steps back, what we're really watching is members of Congress talking about themselves again. Yeah, absolutely, because the alternative is for them to have to talk about policies. And if they talk about policies, they have to talk about their, and it's not just their failures, of, you know, all the failures we see right in front of us, you know, gas prices, crime, an open border, fentanyl deaths, you can go through, uh, the, the, the list is endless. And if anybody got out of Washington, any of these people got out of Washington and talked to normal people, they would realize that American people are very, very concerned about a lot of things. This is not one of them. But then, but then you step back even farther and you look at the, the, just the cavalcade of lies that, that, that Democrat politicians have made in their promises to get elected over ever since, uh, even before Joe Biden became, uh, came to Washington, whether it's uh, solving health care problems for poor people, ending poverty, or uh, providing public education to people. They failed on all of these fronts. And the reason they, and, and I call this the, the third failed impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. The reason they have to talk about this stuff is because they can't talk about those other issues. They have to distract everybody from, but, but then it, it's even crazier than that because when you get to the issue of security and you start thinking about what people, it, it, you know, whose businesses were destroyed in these riots that Democrats supported in the year running up to the election. And you think about the security, think about the parents 
whose children, they fear for their children going into an elementary school today. And Democrats control all, both chambers of Congress and the White House. They have not done a damn thing to protect children in schools. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, the, the, the third branch of government, the judiciary, we have Supreme Court justices living under the threat of their family being assassinated, and, and, that, and Nancy Pelosi will do nothing about it. All she can talk about is this day a year and a half ago when she was afraid or they were afraid of some goofball trespassing nutty rioters coming through the Capitol. I, I think that what we're seeing, and I think all this is going to backfire. And I think what we're seeing right here, and I, and I think it's great. I mean, that, that, that image you just showed of all the networks of obedient people, obedient networks showing this thing on command. I think what we're seeing is the final swirling of credibility for the media and Democrats yeah. going down the drain. I think they're going to pay a price. And I think this, this, right, this spectacle right here is going to make it even worse for them because the, the, you know, the difference between their concern here and the concern about anybody else, including school children in elementary schools, it's breathtaking. You and I entered journalism about the same time, over 30 years ago. It seemed honorable then. It seems completely shameful now. It really does. Shameful. Charlie Hurt, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Great to see you. Two guys I have a lot of respect for, Charlie Hurt and uh, Tucker Carlson. Say what you will about Tucker. He does get a, a bit edgy, <laughs> but he's always on point. And when he gives us something, you can bet your bippy that he's got evidence behind it to back it up. And he also... We share this one common trait. He'll tell you when he's giving you his opinion, just as I do here at Truth News Network, TNN Live. Well, well, well. You know who you might be wondering about how they felt about last night? Well, I do. And who might that be? How about um, the 45th President of the United States? Wouldn't you have liked to have sat there and watched the reaction of Donald Trump as he watched it last night. Well, we've got a little bit of that reaction for you. Uh-oh. Going to the horse's mouth, right? That's next here at TNN Live. Back in a Real minute. truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. last night, no doubt about it. And I'm sure the 45th president of the United States was uh, one of those guys that was watching, was looking in. Um, He's one of those guys that really cares about facts. And he also cares a lot about what people have to say about him. Now, he's pretty touchy about that. I guarantee you, coming from Queens, New York, and having a very successful business career there, at Queens, this guy's got to have thick skin. And I think in many respects, Donald Trump did, but you got to remember this. Donald Trump was not a politician. He wasn't. Well, he became a politician, but he wasn't when he took office. And as a politician, he had to learn a lot of things and he had to learn how to deal with people. And I'm sure that was a tough thing for him to do. But what he's always been able to do is morph through the circumstances and was able, always has been, to make a successful bid to be able to handle all the types of things, those that are anticipated and even those things that are not. So this political circus last night, that's exactly what it was last night and what it's going to be throughout its entirety. Of course, they're going to end this, you can bet, maybe two weeks before the midterm elections, they're going to try to drag it out because you know why? This is them spending tens of millions of your tax dollars, and it's nothing more than a campaign against Donald Trump and anybody he supports in the midterms. I don't care what anybody tells you, that's exactly what this is about. And it's all coming out of our pockets, American taxpayers. From its very opening moment last night, Representative Chairman Benny Thompson, he likened the so-called insurrection on January 6th, he called it, he likened it to slavery, lynching, and even the Ku Klux Klan when he didn't throw in their BLM. The panel sought to score the maximum impact that it could possibly get in its prime time, coordinated and even orchestrated by a former president of ABC. They hired this guy to do it. How did they do it? Well, they tried to hook the audience with an emotionally wrenching and some would contend manipulated presentation of its case to stop Trump from another run for the White House in 2024. Don't question that that is all this is about one manipulation that happened last night. And if you watched, you probably saw the video I'm going to tell you about, but you didn't know what you didn't see. And we're going to tell you what you didn't see. The committee presented Trump spokesman, Jason Miller. 
as it was trying to establish its ginned-up conspiracy theory that Donald Trump spent months plotting to overturn an election that to this day he has insisted wasn't on the up and up. So the Miller clip, one of several that featured Trump allies and family members that were teed up by malicious actor Liz Cheney, don't know another term for her but that, who got her star turn-in production that was carried by every major network with the exception of Fox News. Part of it focused on a call with campaign data expert Matt Oskowski telling Trump that he was going to lose based on the election returns. And so the clip of Miller's deposition, you won't be surprised to learn this, it was lacking in its proper context. They just presented a little bitty piece of it And that little bitty piece of it, of course, bolstered the committee's efforts to frame Trump for an attempted coup, and they presented it to the national viewing audience. According to Matt Miller, Jason Miller, I'm sorry, they left some out. (laughs) And so Miller, last night after it was all over, he tweeted, here's what came next in my testimony, which Liz Cheney failed to play. Question, okay, and what was the president's reaction then when Matt said to him, hey, we're looking at the numbers, you're going to lose? Miller's answer, I think it's safe to say he disagreed with Matt's analysis providing the important missing context that ran counter to the committee's constructed narrative. That was in his first tweet last night. Second tweet. On what basis did he give a basis? Miller added in a second tweet. Answer. He believed that Matt was not looking at the prospect of legal challenges going our way and that Matt was looking at purely from what those numbers were showing as opposed to broader things to include things like legality and election integrity. Hmm. Three, issues which, as a data guy, he may not have been monitoring, Miller wrote in a third tweet. The usual gaggle of Twitter-addicted Trump haters treated the misleading Miller clip as the smoking gun that had fired the silver bullet that would finally put an end to Trump's political career. Trump campaign aide Jason Miller said this, Trump was told in pretty blunt terms that he was going to lose. That's direct evidence of Trump's men's, his criminal intent. (laughs) It was a curse word. Oh my gosh. This shouldn't surprise anybody. It shouldn't surprise anybody at all. Um, That's just the way it is. And I'll give you some other news that probably won't surprise you. FBI intelligence warning that the January, we heard there were warnings from the FBI. Specifically, I remember from a, uh, a group down somewhere in Virginia that were making all kind of noise on social media about planning to come to January 6th and they were going to do this and do that. Well, the FBI obviously turned that information over to the powers to be at the Capitol, right? Who would that be? Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer, right? Well, 
they did turn that over. The FBI did turn that information over. Who'd they turn it over to? Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And of course, then Chuck just went right to Speaker Pelosi and right to the Capitol Police and gave them that information, right? Nope. Capitol Police Deputy Chief Sean Gallagher emailed Schumer's top aide, Kelly Fado, now the Senate's Deputy Sergeant of Arms, at about 9.40 p.m. on January 5th, ooh, the night before, Hmm. saying he wanted to provide you visibility to new intelligence that an FBI threat analysis center had received from a website owner. And by the way, this information, what I'm giving you right now, it just came from John Solomon of Just the News. This information explicitly warned that demonstrators had detailed maps of the tunnel systems around the Capitol, frequented by lawmakers and their staffs, and they were plotting to create a perimeter for potential violence and to find Democrat members early to block them from entering the Capitol. One point of entry the rioters were targeting was the Library of Congress, he warned. The owner of that website submitted an online tip to the FBI National Threat Operations Center, stating that he has noticed a big uptick in new visitors to his website. We have identified numerous open source comments indicating groups' intentions of finding the tunnel entrances and confronting and blocking members of Congress. Additionally, he said, we have seen a huge uptick with reporting through open source of the group's intentions of forming a perimeter around the campus, indicating in an image from 0600 to 1000 hours in order to block all members of Congress from getting inside our perimeter to the buildings with spots identified for direct action. That sounds kind of detailed to me. Don't you think that's something that everybody, everybody to do with the Capitol, to do with Congress, everybody should have known about those warnings the night before from the FBI. Gallagher and the Capitol Police Press Office did not respond for request to comment on this late yesterday. Gallagher's email included several screenshots of web communications where demonstrators had detailed maps and discussed plotting specific actions, like a plan to block all the tunnel exits and to ensure that legislators feel our anger and resolve. Remarkably, according to a report the Senate published last year after a brief investigation of security failures that day, the FBI's warnings were not distilled to the Capitol Police's then-Chief Steve Sund or its commanders and its officers preparing security for the next day. Despite the detailed information in the new threat analysis that they provided. Similar to the intelligence already in possession prior to January 5th, the FBI and the warning regarding the tunnel system were not elevated to top-level leadership. Key Republican members of Congress said yesterday they had been unaware of Gallagher's tip-off to the Schumer aide and said it provided further evidence that the House committee, the January 6th committee, which did their prime time thing last night, had constricted an investigation to shield Schumer 
and Pelosi from any accountability for the botched security that they oversaw. Now, this is just not a little bitty insignificant tidbit of information. Let me just say this, and we're going to end this January 6th segment right here by saying this. We are only seeing the tip of the iceberg. There is much, much more to this. And let me tell you, let me, let me warn you, let me prepare you for what's coming down the pike. Between now and, and not the midterms, between now and 2024, this is going to be uncomfortable. And I don't even want to warn you about this, but I got to because this is what's going to happen. This group of hardcore wannabe totalitarians in leadership in our government today, led in part by people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Barack Obama. They are going to do anything and everything that they can do using all of the resources they have. And their resources, by the way, you need to know, come from you and I. All the money that they have, all of the power, all the threats, the intimidation, everything they have at their disposal to keep any further data and information like this that we've just given you. This came to me, all of it this morning, unsolicited. People out there, good people out there in the media business are wanting the facts to get to the public, and it's not happening on these eight television networks. At least the first offering of it didn't include much of this last night. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you heard the questions that she asked. Names that I've never even heard of. People that paid, played key roles that were there on the ground. No answers to those questions. An investigation is only an investigation if it's honest, if it's total, if it's clear from anybody's personal perspective going in in the middle of it and coming out of it. Good investigations are not supposed to draw conclusions before the investigation begins. There is no question. The single purpose of this whole charade is to get Donald Trump. An attempt to get Mr. Trump using once again all of the people's power taking it, trying to use it against a duly elected president of the United States. They did that twice. And now, just simply because they know if he gets back in the White House, if he does, the light is going to shine on so many horrible people in the swamp in D.C., it's unimaginable how many people are going to go by the wayside. You think people bailed out of Congress in the November 2020 election. You think it was bad then. <laughs> I would almost say, buy your ticket to wherever your favorite movie theater group is and plan on going and watching a really, really good documentary when all of the swamp critters are exposed and the American people are going to take them to task. It's going to happen, folks. Thankfully, I've got a confidence in my heart that it's going to happen. And I've not had a confidence like this about anything to do with honesty and integrity in our government. Never had it like this before today. 
I believe there are enough good people still out there that are going to do everything necessary to get the light of truth shining on all of this. Now, in the middle of all of this, this just shocked me. Yesterday, June 9th, yesterday, the FBI arrested Republican Mission, Michigan gubernatorial candidate Ryan Kelly. Ryan Kelly, I've heard his name, don't know much about him. But the FBI arrested him yesterday. And guess what for? Charges related to the January 6th riot at the Capitol. He was charged with the most egregious crimes. Oh my gosh. I mean, felony after felony, right? No, misdemeanors. <laughs> misdemeanors. Misdemeanors. What comprises misdemeanors? That's like throwing a cigarette butt on the sidewalk somewhere. Anyway, they made sure that their release included these words. Charged with misdemeanors including committing violence against a person or property on restricted grounds, damaging federal property, disorderly conduct, entering a restricted building on grounds without permission. Now what I just gave you came from that bastion of integrity in media, the New York Times. He's the first person running for a major election at the state or federal level to be charged in connection with January 6th. So the FBI received several tips about Kelly's presence at the Capitol on January 6th. That in itself, that sentence is a lie because they had, they had identity, personal identity software, and they labeled, knowingly labeled every person that was at the January 6th get-together at the Capitol. So the FBI received several tips. Yeah, right. The tips included pictures and videos of Amanda believed to be him wearing a black coat, aviator sunglasses, backwards black baseball cap, an affidavit. Doesn't say who created the affidavit or who testified to justify the arrest anyway. The affidavit says Kelly was allegedly seen filming a crowd of protesters, quote, assaulting and pushing past U.S. Capitol Police officers and waving for the crowd to head inside. That's according to a news outlet. It's unclear if he entered the Capitol himself. Well, he was charged with it. I read you the charges. They allege that he entered it, went into the Capitol illegally. COVID-19 was made so that they can use the propaganda to control your mind so that you think if you watch the media that Joe Biden won the selection. We're not going to buy it. That accordingly is what this guy said. Ryan Kelly said that. We're going to stand and fight for America, for Donald Trump. We're not going to let the Democrats steal this election. Now, I wasn't there, had no temptation to go. But if I had been there and somebody had stuck a, a microphone in my face, I might have would have said something like that. We're not going to stand for anybody to get away with not policing and providing a totally 100% legitimate election process for this election or any other election. And somehow that's something criminal? Maybe it is for some people. Maybe it is. But I can tell you this, for the majority of Americans, it's not. And it's almost just like this fake gun violence thing. We've got we've to take the guns away. we got to take the guns away. 
We've got a story about that in just a couple of minutes. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the two parts of this argument that the left just will not let go about guns and how sinister they are because neither one of them exists in a vacuum. They want them, and to get their purposes fulfilled, they've got to be done both, and they've got to be done at the same time. (laughs) You think you're just going to get away floating through Friday here at TNN Live. We got a bunch more going on out there. Get right to it right after this. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Now remember the loud cries from the left and many of those uh, gun control advocates that have been screaming and hollering against those evil assault weapons, weapons of war. That's what Joe Biden calls them all the time. That's what he called them when he got them, uh, he got them banned uh, AR-15 style rifles in high capacity magazines back, uh, gosh, years and years ago. And the ban was later overturned, and he still, to this day, you hear him say it all the time, it worked when we did it before. We saw gun killings and shootings go way, 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 way down. Ball face lie. There was no change, none whatsoever. And the FBI doesn't keep complete statistics on the style of weapons that are used. They're doing it now, but they weren't doing it back then. But Joe Biden never misses an opportunity to use a lie to make himself look good and uh, very successful politically with his ideas. But nevertheless, it wasn't true. A new poll came out about the Americans' feelings about an assault weapons ban. And that's the term that was used in this, this poll. 
do you support an assault weapons ban? Well, guess what? The results of this by Quinnipiac is at an all-time low, the support for an assault weapons ban. Now, Democrats and the left, they don't want you to know this, but people in America are not, in large, stupid people. They know guns don't kill people. More people die every year from somebody using a hammer against them than the all total in a year people are killed by semi-automatic guns. Nobody wants to talk about that. That's not good politics. So what are the two cries the left are screaming for? Of course, they want to ban assault weapons, those evil weapons of war, right? But they know they'll not get that passed because it won't pass muster. There'll be a challenge in the Supreme Court if it gets there regarding the Second Amendment and abridging the rights that are afforded Americans under the Second Amendment of the Constitution. It's been tested again and again, and the SCOTUS comes out every time and says, no, you can't do that. So what have they defaulted to? They have two little provisions that they want to get at. Oh, you know, we've got to have background checks. we got to have background checks on everybody. we got to know who's getting these guns. And people are slipping through the cracks, and we don't know who they are, so we can't go get them. Well, here's a novel idea, folks. The ones that are slipping through the cracks are the ones that don't get guns legally. And that's a huge number. We know that. But what we don't know is how many and what percentage of those that have these guns that are involved in these kind of things, we don't know where they're getting their guns. But let's be honest with you. We already have background checks. If you go to any of the gun dealers, a officially licensed FFL, Federal Fireworks Licensed Dealer, they cannot sell you a gun without running a background check through the ATF. You have to fill out a form with a bunch of questions. They check your public record, but they ask you specific questions, and you've got to answer it. It has to go back up to wherever the ATF offices are, and I imagine they're in D.C., but I'm not sure. But nevertheless, then they come back, and usually it takes 10, 15, 20 minutes to do. But criminals don't do that. Why? Because they wouldn't pass muster. So how do criminals, those that are going to be most susceptible to shooting somebody and killing somebody, where do they get their guns? Well, they buy them or get them illegally. They steal them or they buy them. Maybe those guns were stolen before. Maybe they're coming in from overseas. There's a lot of gun uh, transmission that's coming across our southern border. Has been for decades. Background checks won't stop any of that. That's my point. But they want what they call universal background checks. Universal. What's the difference? Well, it's just a nuance of words is all it is. It's a nuance of words. It's a play on terms. Universal background checks, that means they have access to everything about anybody that goes into that. It's not just about the specific questions that are asked on the current ATF check that you have to run through before you can close on a deal buying from a legitimate FFL dealer. 
They want to be able to access everything on those people. But then what's the other thing? Red flag laws. Red flag laws. Now, what are red flag laws? That means the government, if the red flag laws pass, which the House yesterday did pass a red flag law, that means if you've got guns, you've got to report what guns you have. So you put that in context with the other. What does that mean? Well, not only will they know that Dan Newman owns this gun, this AR-15, this riot shotgun, whatever it is, a handgun, it doesn't matter. You own that. They know what kind of gun it is. So they then, if an angry neighbor picks up the phone and says, hey, I don't know this for sure, but I think this, this guy, Dan Newman, and so somebody on the other end pulls out, oh, yeah, let's look here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dan Newman. He's got this gun. He's got this gun right here. Specifics. So then they come to your house and knock on your door. Well, you can't do that, right? It's a violation of privacy. It's a violation of the Second Amendment. All of those things are true. But what they do is they don't come out and just grab it all at one fell swoop. They do it piece at a time. And they lull us to sleep because they're not coming right in here and saying, we want the legal ability to confiscate your guns. They know Americans would never settle for that. And so they don't even try that. They want to get one and the other one at the same time, even though they're separate. Most people won't think this this thing through. But then when they put the two together, they have access to know every gun you've bought legally. And you've got a credible threat from a, a neighbor or somebody. Maybe it's a cop. It's got a beef against you. That gives them the permission to come get your gun. The House yesterday passed a bill to nationalize red flag laws. And these are supposed to keep guns away from individuals that are deemed to be a threat to themselves or other. They call it in the House the Federal Extreme Risk Protection Order. It passed in a vote 224 to 202. Two Republicans did not vote. Five Republicans, Representatives Fred Upton of Michigan, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, Chris Jacobs of New York, They bucked the GOP, and they voted for it. Democrat Representative Jared Golden of Maine broke from the party, and he opposed the bill. So this comes one day after the House cleared a sweeping gun package that, among other things, called for raising the minimum age to purchase a semiotic weapon from 18 to 21, banning civilian use of high-capacity magazines. Both pieces of legislation were brought up in response to the most recent mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. Now, this bill was penned and offered to be considered by Representative Lucy McBath, a Democrat in Georgia, whose son died by gun violence in 2012. It would authorize family members and law enforcement officers to petition district courts, federal district courts, Not local, federal. They want it out of the local jurisdiction. They want it so that the federal government controls all of this. 
petition U.S. district courts to issue federal extreme protection orders that would temporarily prohibit individuals from purchasing or possessing firearms. Now, there are already 19 states that have red flag laws, along with the District of Columbia. Richard Blumenthal, senator from Connecticut, Democrat, Lindsey Graham, introduced a companion bill back in 2018. The Senate has been engaged in what they call bipartisan gun negotiations, which are really not bipartisan, following those two mass shootings, but the chamber's not yet introduced any proposal. Red flag laws, however, have emerged as a consensus point among members of both parties. That's because these people don't know what these will be used in conjunction with the other. And by the way, that assault weapons thing, which an AR-15 is not an assault weapon, it's no more assault weapon than a shotgun. That ban, just put it in the context of what they're asking. An 18-year-old can serve in the military and go over and lay their life down for a country, but they're not old enough to buy an automatic weapon that the left want to call an assault weapon. There's just something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. I'm going to let you hear from Senator Josh Hawley on another matter in just a moment. This popped up yesterday, and it's really significant. But this story came up, and folks, i got to tell you, this just absolutely blows my mind. Another associate of Bill and Hillary Clinton has died, yet another one, under very suspicious circumstances. This one, by the way, had direct ties to the also-dead Jeffrey Epstein. His name, Mark Middleton. You might recognize that name in conjunction with the Clintons. Back in the 90s, he directed Clinton's campaign finances, served as the former president's special advisor. He was found dead on May 7th. Now, wait a minute. This is June 10th. We're just hearing about this? Well, that's no big deal, but let me tell you the circumstances of the death. You're going to love this. Hung by an electrical cord from a tree with a shotgun blast to his chest. (laughs) Let me draw that picture for you a little more literal. May 7th, he was found by a family member hanging by an electrical cord from a tree with a shotgun blast to his chest. So the invest, and this is in a little bitty town, Perry County in Arkansas. He was 59 years old. And the investigation is still ongoing, but the uh, sheriff's department there, they have already determined his official cause of death, like the deaths of so many Clinton associates. His death, the official cause, was suicide. Okay. (laughs) Let's analyze this together. He was reportedly responsible for admitting pedophile Jeffrey Epstein into see then-President Clinton seven of the 17 times Epstein went to the White House. He even traveled on Epstein's notorious Lolita Express private jet with Bill Clinton. Middleton's family has blocked the release of details surrounding the death scene The investigation is still open, we're told. I can't say anything more. That's Sheriff Scott Montgomery. But as it turns out, the sheriff 
had a whole lot more to say. Here's what the Here's what Barney Fife said. He died from a self-inflicted shotgun wound to the chest. He found a tree. It's in Arkansas, folks. You don't have to look hard. He pulled a table over, got up on the table, took an extension cord, put it around a limb, put it around his neck, and then shot himself in the chest with a shotgun. Now, I don't have the measurements, (laughs) but I got to tell you, The trigger on a shotgun, if you've got it pointed at your chest and you're hanging from an electric cord out of a tree, it just doesn't physically make much sense that that's a possibility. It was very evident that the shotgun worked because there was not a lot of blood or anything on the scene. You can tell the shotgun blast was on his chest. You can see that because there's a hole in his chest and pellets came out of his back. I can hear the guy, and I'm not, I am making fun of this. This is, uh, hey, in the world in which I live in, in the South, regarding the Clintons, there's a term for this happening. I think this brings the number of people affiliated with the Clintons throughout their political careers that died of suicide. It brings it up to like 23 or 24. And the term is not they committed suicide. The term is they suicided. (laughs) Somebody suicided them. Vince Foster, you remember him? He was the closest confidant in the White House for the Clintons. He went up there with them from Arkansas. He got crossways with Hillary and he went missing for days and days and days. They found his body in one of the parks in D.C., And the official cause of death was listed as suicide. Now, what I'm about to tell you, um, and and I maybe shouldn't say this, but I saw the official death certificate for Vince Foster right after it happened. He died from two gunshots to the back of his head. So Vince Foster was suicided. (laughs) Take a number. Oh, what's that old saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well, in this case, if the woman was Hillary Clinton, I got to tell you, uh, I don't want her mad at me. I don't. And listen, I'm also going to tell you something. One of the people that subscribes to truthnewsnet.org, there are tens of thousands of you that do. One of those that subscribes and gets the link every day when a story goes up, is Bill Clinton. Yep, Bill Clinton. He's right there with us, folks. I wouldn't pretend that I know that he reads everything that we published, so I'm not going to do that. But I do know that somebody, either him or somebody, decided, hey, we're going to sign you up for Truth News Net, let you hear what these guys have to say about you and your wife and Any other big thing that you want to talk about? Just when you think it gets bad and you've heard it all, you hear another one like this, right? You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward. 
give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? You're there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Yeah, the other one. I guess the the most recent one besides this guy, the other one that got suicided, but it wasn't suicided, so I can't call it that, but died under very mysterious circumstances, was a very high-up guy in the Clinton campaign, Mark Rick. You remember that story? Lived and worked in D.C. Um, Worked for the Clinton campaign. I guess it was Hillary's, maybe the 2016, I, I don't remember, but anyway, um, was walking home from work one afternoon about 5 or 5.30, and um, he was accosted on the street. Nobody saw it or nobody reported that they did see it, but accosted on the street, they found him dead, laying face down on the street, and the official cause of death was a uh, gunshot, and it was determined that it was a robbery. That's what the D.C. police report says. In fact, I, th- I think you can still get that Mark Richt uh report from the D.C. police, get it online. I'm not sure if you can, but I looked some time ago and it was still there. And it it showed them the circumstances were a robbery. But then you get the facts about the robbery. The man wore a Rolex watch. He had a Mont Blanc pin, had a wallet that was full of credit cards and several hundred dollars in cash. All of that that I just mentioned was still on his body. <laughs> But it was an attempted robbery, and something went wrong, so they shot and killed him. It's politics, folks. You can hear anything, you can believe it or not believe it, but it's out there, and it's never going to change. I don't see it ever changing. Josh Hawley yesterday was up in arms in the U.S. Senate. What was he up in arms about? You know, Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, he appears before the, the Senate Judiciary Committee and also the House Judiciary Committee pretty regularly. Hawley's on that Senate committee. And uh, Hawley is known to be an aggressive questioner of people that do appear before that committee. And uh, this truth panel or truth agency, this thing that came out that it looked like it was going to happen where Homeland Security was going to have a group that was put together to make sure that everybody doesn't tell anything that's not true. I mean, I'm really 
That's really what it's all about, a truth committee. And he got, Mayorkas got so much pushback on it that they basically said, we're not going to do it. And of course, Mayorkas, when he testified, he said, oh, no, 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 this was not about spying on American people. This was on watching international communication and being able to ferret out the potential evil that comes from that. Well, guess what? Hawley found out after the fact that wasn't necessarily the case, the reason for that committee. I would hope that as we discuss violent extremism, that one thing that we could all agree on is that it is wrong and dangerous for any political actor and certainly any executive administration to try to leverage the threat of violent extremism to mislead Congress, to go after political opponents, or to threaten the speech and First Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. But unfortunately, that is exactly what the Biden administration has done. And we have new insight into that today because of the actions of a patriotic whistleblower who contacted my office along with Senator Grassley a short time ago and provided to us documents from the Department of Homeland Security relating to that agency's disinformation board that Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testified about sitting right there just a few weeks ago. But according to the documents that I have in my hand here that Senator Grassley and I have now made public, the testimony that Secretary Mayorkas gave to this committee, under oath, I might add, was in many respects deeply misleading. Deeply misleading. And the information we've now learned about the administration's efforts to track and censor American speech is deeply shocking. And I'd like to take a moment to go through with this whistleblower who I thank for that person's patriotism to go through what these documents disclose. You know, Secretary Mayorkas said that the efforts of the department with the disinformation board were new in response to my questions about whether there were documents, meetings, meeting uh, minutes, uh, other documents related to the disinformation board. Uh, He suggested that there weren't any because the board hadn't met. Well, in fact, we now know that the Department of Homeland Security began working on standing up this board as early as last year in a memorandum dated September 13th, 2021. The undersecretary of DHS writes to the secretary, to Mayorkas, about the need for the disinformation board. And here's the interesting thing. They explicitly cite domestic violent extremism as a reason to stand up the censorship board, but it quickly goes far beyond that. In the same paragraph... They talk about the need for this disinformation board to monitor and to counter so-called disinformation about the COVID vaccine, about people who are raising questions about the efficacy of masks, about people who are raising questions about the origins of COVID. So, in other words, the Department of Homeland Security is contemplating a disinformation board that will track the speech of Americans and classify it as disinformation if you raise a question about the COVID vaccine, about the origins of COVID, about the efficacy of masks, which, by the way, this administration has reversed itself on numerous times. The documents go on. The disinformation board is necessary, this memorandum says, because of those who question election integrity, because of those who have questions about January 6th. So now we get to the nub of it. We see that, in fact, 
this disinformation board from the beginning was meant to track and go after political speech that this administration did not favor. And for an executive department to do that, and frankly to mislead this committee about it, is deeply, deeply disturbing, and it's wrong. I mean, it's just plain wrong. As we look through the documents, you see that what the secretary told the committee about the disinformation board's operation is just not true. He repeatedly told this committee that the disinformation board would be just a working group, just a working group. That's not what the documents say. There is a charter, a proposed charter, that the secretary himself signed personally on February 24th, 2022, that describes the disinformation board as having the authority to set up guidelines. It has governance authority over how the department will classify what is disinformation, over what the response to disinformation should be, over who is doing what in terms of counter, so countering disinformation, which, remember, includes questions about COVID or questions about election integrity or questions about masks. The idea that this is just a working group is, frankly, completely contradicted by the documents that the whistleblower turned over to us and that the secretary himself signed. And can I just say again, for the secretary to sit in that chair and tell me that he wasn't really aware of any documents related to the disinformation board, when he has personally signed charters, when he has personally reviewed memoranda dating back months, is misleading at best. There's also information in these documents about attempted coordination, planned coordination by the disinformation board with the big tech monopolies. There are meeting notes here, proposed plans of actions for members of the disinformation board, members of the administration to meet with big tech executives to discuss sharing information about disinformation and tracking analytics of American citizens who are using the big tech's the big tech companies' platforms, and engaging in so-called misinformation. This is a big tech administration alliance to track speech. It's here in the documents. Now, I asked Secretary Mayorkas if there had been any contact with the big tech companies. He said he wasn't aware of any. I sent a letter following his testimony to Secretary Mayorkas, putting this question to him directly. And interestingly, the department's Draft responses to my letter are also in these documents. Now, I'll say for the record, he has not yet, the department has not yet officially responded, but their draft responses are here in the whistleblower documents, and they continue the misleading half-truths. They continue in those documents to characterize this as a working group, false. They say, I say, has the DHS conferred with any private social media company in the operation of this board? They repeat the idea that the, that the board is merely an internal working group, and then they say the creation of the board, the creation of the board was not discussed with any external entities. That's because we now know that they were discussing the operation of the board with big tech companies. They were seeking to partner and get analytics on law-abiding Americans. Mr. Chairman, my time has nearly expired. I, I would ask unanimous consent that my letter with Senator Grassley, along with the attachments, be entered into the record. Without objection. We haven't reviewed any of those documents, but uh, without objection. This is, this is startling information. This committee needs to hold a hearing to follow up on the testimony that the secretary gave on the inconsistencies that we now find in these documents and on, frankly, this administration's concerted efforts to mislead the American public about its own attempts 
to track and censor and frankly punish American speech, which is deeply antithetical to the First Amendment, deeply antithetical to our constitutional principles, and deeply wrong. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You know, there's there's a whole lot contained within that uh, that report given by Josh Hawley. By the way, if you don't follow him on his uh, uh, Twitter feed, he's a really, really good guy. Very sharp guy. Uh, you, what you just heard, he's very concise in what he says. And he never says anything and assumes anything to be so without getting facts first. Anybody that would do what he did, which was follow up when Mayorkas was there before and follow up with some letters, getting and making sure that he puts people on notice, officials in the government, you said this, we want to verify that, provide us proof of that. Um, Let me just take it back up to the 10,000 foot level here. Mayorkas appeared, lots of people appear before these congressional committees Every single one of them, every single time they appear, are sworn. Now, when you take an oath to tell the truth before the Congress and you don't tell the truth and you get caught, that's perjury. And it's criminal. It's a felony offense to do that. I think you probably, like me, are sick and tired of our members of Congress and the Department of Justice not doing anything to any of these people that lie before these committees in classified settings sometimes, sometimes and not in open settings, like the Mayorkas hearing that Josh Hawley was referring to. I watched part of it. I, I, uh, I tape them sometime. I don't tape them anymore. God bless that. I don't have to tape. <laughs> I digitally record them. But I, I listened to that entire uh, interview that particular hearing because I feel very strongly that Alejandro Mayorkas does not tell the truth. Hawley just verified my suspicions. But you remember John Brennan, former CIA director? You remember James Clapper, department director of the National Intelligence Agency? They all lied before Congress numerous times. James Comey, former FBI director, lied under oath before Congress, as did Brennan, as did Clapper, as now did Mayorkas. If you or I were subpoenaed to appear before a committee, we swore to tell the truth in that committee hearing and we lied, what would they do to us? They would drag us in by our heels and throw us in that Washington D.C. jail with all of these January 6th offenders, many of whom have been there for more than a year. No trial. Unless and until this Department of Justice and any Department of Justice does not accept any of the lies that are told in sworn testimony before the Congress, if they continue to just wink at it. The rule of law is even further toast than we thought it was. This two-tiered legal system that the conspiracy theorists like me and some other people, like we say that there exists, there's a rule of law for those in politics, and then there's a separate rule of law, totally opposite in many cases, to the other rule of law that they force you and I to abide by. This is supposed to be the thing that separates this nation from every other 
nation on the planet. It's our Constitution that enshrines the rule of law within it and that everybody is going to abide by those laws that are in the Constitution and then those laws that are passed by the federal government under the process as provided in the U.S. Constitution, if we don't hold each other accountable in every circumstance regarding breaking any and all of those laws, we're just like every little banana republic, every little African nation where there's one guy that just decides what the laws and rules are and can determine them and change them at will. We're no different than they are. I didn't subscribe to be a citizen of a nation that operates that way. And I'm pretty sure you didn't either. And to that end, there's another little nasty story that raised its head. You know the name Peter Navarro, former Trump advisor, really good guy too. And he was very dramatically arrested and uh, was taken to jail on a contempt of Congress charge. So it was a carnival-like arrest, what they did. They could have arrested him at his office. They could have arrested him any other of a number of places, but they made it very public, which is what they like to do. It's from the January 6th committee. Carnival atmosphere is the best way to describe it. Fearing that Peter Navarro, now listen to this, they were afraid that after he was arrested in subsequent court appearance, that he was going to continue with his accusations against our government of terrorism and coercion. He immediately addressed it very publicly in the way he was handcuffed, he was hauled into custody to anybody and everybody who would listen, would use grand jury evidence for improper purposes. Prosecutors urged the court to give him a muzzle, not let him speak publicly about any of this, which is a violation of our First Amendment rights. So he went on Fox News, and in that interview, Navarro likened his treatment to that of an al-Qaeda terrorist. Prosecutors argued that the embattled advisor doesn't have legal representation. He may use discovery materials for, as the Daily Mail described it, a media campaign. Here's what they said. The defendant's extrajudicial statements, however, demonstrate a substantial risk that, without a protective order, the defendant will use non-public discovery for improper purposes instead of to prepare the defense he plans to present before this court. Now, according to Navarro, the DOJ is trying to exploit his lack of legal representation But the Department of Justice is alleging the lack of a lawyer only makes Navarro even more dangerous. They said the defendant has demonstrated through his public statements that he intends to litigate the merits of the pending charges in the media. You know, kind of like they did by parading him in handcuffs behind his back. And they weren't through yet in their filing to the court. Moreover, proceeding pro se, The defendant does not have an attorney who can monitor his use of non-public discovery material and who is subject to the district's clear rules limiting extrajudicial statements and other efforts to taint a jury pool. 
adding that it is the court's obligation to avoid the carnival atmosphere that might accompany a case receiving substantial public attention, as this case already has due in part to the defendant's press appearances. And indeed, the -the over-the-top way in which Navarro was taken into custody has gained its share of public scrutiny. That's what they wanted. It was reported that True Social CEO and former GOP Congressman David Nunez called Navarro's arrest nothing more than a publicity stunt ahead of the House Select Committee's first televised hearing from last night. This is all part of the build-out for the Democrats' latest installment of their hoax theatrics, right? That's what Nunes said on Monday. You got to remember, I was there for the first three. (laughs) You had the Russia hoax, the first impeachment hoax, and the second impeachment hoax. They've all failed. They've all bombed. I mean, they're very willing to say they're building narratives, and now they've even gone outside because the first three bombed. I guess they think they'll hire this guy from ABC who produced last night's little get-together. Tucker like in Navarro's arrest the other day at Reagan International Airport to something seen in a third world country. Federal agents didn't call his lawyer, as is customary in cases like this. They didn't even come to his house, which as it happens, is just feet from the FBI building. They could have walked in, but they didn't. This is the United States of America, boys and girls. We're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty Unless you're in a political foe of anybody that's in power on the left side of the government. They don't care about the rule of law. They don't care about decency. They don't even care about doing the right thing even when it's not in the law just because you're morally a good person. That's a wrap on the week. You guys have a great weekend and I'll see you Monday morning right here. Before the second show
Play your sad guitar.